Well, that's it. That's all. Mrs. Irene Lyon, welcome to the show once again. <laughs> Thank you. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, enjoying the very cold for Vancouver weather. It's like on that verge mm. of minus three, I think, maybe. Yeah. A little snow in the air. So yeah, you're feeling, is, has it been a little cooler there at all? In, uh, have you noticed in terms of just, did you have a colder summer or anything like that? Yeah, it was weird. So, um, like there are still leaves on, I'm looking out my window on the trees and it snowed, you know, the other night. And so there was this weird shift where it was really warm in September and in October. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say Indian summer anymore, but you know, it was like an Indian summer (laughs) and, uh, and it just kept persisting and then it just turned. Yeah. Um, we had very little rain and then it did, it just, it got cold and then it snowed. Yeah, we had uh, we had somewhat of a normal-ish summer, and then a warmer fall, and even still, mm-hmm. like you know, uh, it's been pretty mild here in uh, in Ontario. So it's I was I was I've wondering that, like yeah. weather patterns shifting or what's the dilly there, but you know, yep. it's our good old planet. Yep. Who knows? Yeah. Contrary to property, you know, a lot of people think it's always snowing up here. It's like no, actually, we don't get very much here in Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. I had that, I had that funny comment on a video. It was, so it's November, what it's December now. Right. And, yeah. uh, just yesterday I recorded something. It was raining really, really hard or the, not yesterday, the day before. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it was raining really, really hard. And, uh, it, and somebody could hear the rain in the background and they were yes. like, it's raining there. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't usually snow here till January anyway, but yeah, 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 <laughs> so, you know, yeah. yeah we're in funny. a rainforest here. Yeah. Anyway, I, you know, I think, all jokes put aside, the climate here is still really good. You know, we still yeah. have seasons. Oh, I yeah. certainly wouldn't want to be down in, you know, Texas or Florida or maybe to visit, but I like, yeah. I like the seasons. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm a seasons guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to start this off with uh, somewhat of a story here that, that you're going to have to tell because I, you know, I knew that you injured your knee mm-hmm. and that you had split your kneecap in half. I knew that. And that's kind of what kicked off some of your, some of your work, but through that, through that healing journey. But I was reading your website, you know, the other day to get a little bit of like, Hey, what, what personal nuggets can I pull out for this, uh, for this chat? (laughs) And, uh, and it says in 1999, while walking down a flight of stairs, my kneecap spontaneously broke in half. Spontaneously is what blew my mind what do you mean spontaneously like you're just walking and it's just bang like i always thought you like hit it nope okay explain (laughs) (laughs) so uh, i was recovering from an acl reconstruction so that's a, a cruciate ligament in the knee that keeps the the tibia and the femur in check um it had been the second time I had had this ligament replaced um, with my own tendons. And so the second time that this happened, the orthopedic surgeon used um, a graph of my patellar tendon. So they often use a graph of the hamstring tendon and then they, I don't know how they do it, but they like slinky it in and fasten it Mm. and you have a new uh, um, ligament. And so the, the surgery went really well and I was recovering really well. I mean, I was my mid twenties. I was super, you know, young and healthy and strong. And I was walking down the stairs of my then 
uh, home that I was living in and I was going to the gym to do my rehab. And I still remember the step. It was the third step from the bottom. And I went to put my left toe, uh, as you would, to step down. And I heard an audible sound of like a ratchet. You know what a ratchet sounds like? Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> and then at the exact same time, pain like I have never felt in my friggin' life. And it, it was audible, like five crack, 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 cracks. And I, I, and I had, I gasped and I sat down, I screamed. I was living with a girlfriend at the time, a roommate. And she's like, what, what just happened? Cause we were both going to the gym together. I'm like, I don't know what just happened, but something bad just happened. She's like, it's just fine. It's just fine. You've just, you've just, you know, she's kind of going to a frenzy. You've just, um, sprained something or strained a, a muscle. I'm like, no, Catherine, this is, this is something different. And Joe, no word of a lie. I sat there and she sat there and we, I was wearing tights and mm. we watched my knee joint just slowly get bigger and bigger and bigger because oh. the blood was just infusing the joint because of this fracture. So oh, yeah, we oh. went to the medical center. This was in Whistler, British Columbia. Thank God. Cause it's easy to get in to see people there at that point in time. Uh, I get an x-ray. I'm in so much pain. And the, the nurse comes up to me and nurses aren't supposed to tell you, right? They're not supposed to tell you the diet, like what it is, but she yeah. was in so much shock. She was like, have you fractured your patella before? I'm like, what? <laughs> and, she, and she's like, the doctor will be with you soon. I'm like, what? And so, yeah, I um, blew it apart. Oh. And that night went, went down into Vancouver to get emergency surgery and they put it back together. But what, what I think occurred is about a year before that I had been mountain biking and this was before, you know, you wore knee pads and elbow pads yeah. and even helmets, you know, to, to mountain bike. And I remember I had a bruise on the same knee in the middle of the kneecap for six months that took forever to heal. My sense is I had a hairline fracture of my patella, but it never got diagnosed. And then he went to take the graft of the patella tendon. It weakened. Yeah. And then I'm a fairly muscular person for a female and my muscles just blew it apart. Yeah. And so that was, that was like a real hit to my ego. I had just, you know, gotten out of another series of surgeries before that for my other ACL. And, and it's a long story, but that, that is what led me into the mind body because traditional physical rehab and physiotherapy, it wasn't enough to uh, rehabilitate the shock, the pattern of needing to walk in a weird way for months. Um, yeah, it was, I often tell people when they see the scar on my knee that it was a shark attack and I get, I feel them for a few minutes because it's like, it looks like a knee replacement scar. It's like fully down. Like it's, a, yeah. it's like that long. Yeah. So yeah, it spontaneously broke in half. Wow. Okay. Well, that yeah. makes sense. The, the mountain biking sort of yeah. potential accident oh, there yeah. in terms of I'm how certain. that would have led to it. Yeah. Because I, I remember the only story I, I know of somebody personally who cracked their kneecap in half what they did was they fell on a rock in their garden. They were running through their garden yes. and then like fell on a rock and, and it just, yes. slapped, you know, right in half. And, um, I, I don't even want to think about how much pain that would be for that to happen. But, um, yeah. I'm almost curious when, like, I, when they, yeah, when they put it back no, together. Just, yeah. 
Like how'd they, they do they, that? They put it back. So um, they put it back together such that there was two, uh, we could say screws mm-hmm. like that way linearly, or I, I forget my terms. And then there was this wire that did a figure eight. Huh. Um, and it, it's all out because about, mm, I would say three, six months into the recovery, I could feel the head of the nails coming out of the top of my patella. And so, you know, for anyone listening, if you ever have metal in your body and it doesn't need to be in there, get it out immediately. Um, because it's, it's just, it's a breeding ground for bacteria and all sorts of things. And it, it can cause a lot of problems. So that was that, then I had, yeah. So I had another surgery after that to take it out. And if you look at my kneecap now on x-ray, you can still see the remnants of where those, um, screws were. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> Modern with, medicine. With... <laughs> thank God for it. Right. Yes. I mean, it's, but you know, whenever I am walking on rocks, um, I don't do significant mountain hiking like I used to, but you know, you're, you're crossing a boulder field. I am very careful because that is how people typically break their kneecaps as they fall on rock and then it yeah. shatters the knee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is, it, it, it is, I've broken bones before and I've, you know, fractured all sorts. It's, this was, you would breathe and you could feel the kneecap moving. Yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's incredible. The amount of like squeamishness that I'm feeling in my body as, as, as I listen to this story. No, yeah. it's good. I asked, I mean, I yeah. The general the general point is I was I couldn't believe this spontaneous like because yeah. I even put myself now in your shoes thinking like you're walking down the stairs or going to the gym and it's not like you fell and great. hurt yourself it's just no <laughs> it was a bang yeah even yeah. my orthopedic surgeon was a little shocked he's like and and apparently this occurs in um, uh, athletes that have like super duper muscle mass like they'll have like something will just snap like football players. Mm-hmm. But it, I think for someone of my age, you know, it just, it, it was very confusing to them. Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, at least it got fixed. Yeah. And it became yeah. something that, that sort of brought you into this work, um, mm-hmm. a lot more deeply. So, so yes. how did that sort of happen? You went, yeah, I'm assuming you went through, you know, according to your website too, somewhat of a healing journey and things, certain things mm-hmm. worked and certain things did not. So can you expand yeah. on that a bit? Yeah, the short of the story is I um, immediately after that happened, I went to Australia to do my master's in uh, research in biomedical research. And I was in I don't want to say I was in pain, but, you know, maybe I was because I was so functionally frozen, which is a term, you know, well, and we could talk about that later. But um, I was seeing uh, physio, I was seeing massage, I was stretching. um, And I remember the kind of straw that broke the camel's back as I finally went to see a chiropractor. And even then I knew, okay, this is not right. Like I don't wanna get addicted to seeing a chiropractor. Something isn't right. My physical therapist, um, who was quite, not alternative, but he could see the bigger picture. He was like, something's not right here. Like physically you're very you look symmetrical you're strong you're fully functional but there's a pattern of tension and now i know what it is it was the fascia was still bound and i was probably still in some shock yeah from not just that injury but all the other injuries 
I had had previously in my teens and 20s, early 20s, and even in, in my childhood years. And so he said to me, I have a colleague up the, up the ocean here. Um, this was in Wollongong, for those of you that know Australia's coast. He's like, go see this other guy who's also a physical therapist, but he practices something called the Feldenkrais method. Mm. And I was sort of desperate. So I went and I saw this gentleman and it's still a bit of a dream because it was in this huge, like almost sanitarium. It used to be a mental hospital and they turned it into a physical therapy hospital or place and huge high ceilings, you know, and just curtains that are separating the beds. And he watched me walk. He's like, okay. He heard my history. I just laid down on a table. And honestly, Joe, I think I fell asleep because I was so tired from doing research and all the things I was doing. And he, you know, touched and pushed and moved. And, and then he sent me home with a tape, like cassette tape. And he said, do side A, <laughs> this is dating me, and at once, and then the next day do side B, and then the next day do side A again, and do this five times or six times, and then once you've done that, come back and we'll do another hands-on session. I'm like, okay. Um, and so I did that, and I you know, did what he said, and I'll, I'll never forget laying in my dorm room, because that's what I had, tiny little strip with my Sony Walkman doing this, what it was a Feldenkrais lesson, but I didn't know that at the time. And I'll, I'll share it because it was so significant. The first movement that the instructor said to do was to lift up your head, laying on your back and feel the weight of your head. It's like, okay, I'm lift up my head, whatever. Okay. And then he got, he guided us or me through these various movements of flexing the spine and elbow to the knee and using the face and head in different ways, kind of a classic in Feldenkraisian terms, flexion-based awareness through movement lesson. And, you know, I don't even remember if it was pleasant. I don't remember if I was bored. I just did it because I was told to do it. And so then at the very end of that 40 or so minutes, the question was, now come back to lifting your head off of the floor. I'm like, okay. <laughs> No word of a lie, I lifted my head and it felt like it was helium. It was so light. Hmm. I felt no weight, no tension. And I just exclaimed out loud, what the fuck? Like, what is going on? <laughs> like, it, it was probably the first time I had a sensory experience that was so significant that I didn't know what to do with it. I couldn't understand it. I'm like, Oh my God, my head was, I guess, super heavy, but it's the same weight, clearly. What's mm -hmm. going on? And so that, that hooked me. I was like, something is important here. I did the lessons religiously for about four weeks. I saw him maybe two more times. And after that four weeks, and bear in mind, I was young and in my 20s, and this is all I had time to do. I was so strong and so flexible that I remember like throwing my bike over my back and running up the stairs to my office because you couldn't fit your bike in the elevator and there was nowhere to put it outside. And it was just like putting, you know, a, a shovel over my back and running up some stairs. It was so light. And I'm like, okay, my, my body just completely realigned. Yeah. And of course I forgot about this stuff because then I was better got deep into my research intervention study, got back home to Canada, tweaked my back at the gym. Um, nothing bad. I'm like, Oh, I should go back to those tapes. 
that I had lost the tapes. I probably just chucked them when I moved back. And then that, that was around 2000 and end of 2001. And so I think Google was just starting to come alive mm -hmm. then. And so I went onto the computer and I looked up, I remembered it was Feldenkrais and there was a training that started in Victoria, British Columbia, literally six months after that Google search. And so I, I went and I started and this was oh, 2004. So it would have been a little, little after 2001 actually. Um, but then that was it. That was kind of like the go light to all things, I don't like the word alternative, but all things more neuroplasticity, mind body, not your traditional linear physical therapy medical model. Love the medical model for other things, clearly, or else I would be a cripple in a wheelchair if it wasn't for that. Um, yeah. But it just, it opened my eyes to like, wow, I know nothing about how to help someone rehabilitate their body based on what I learned in university. And this is what I have to learn. And then of course, from there led to other things. Yeah. And what's, so you, you became a Feldenkrais practitioner. So sure. what is the mechanism? What is, you hmm. said alignment earlier, but what is the mechanism that takes your head from feeling heavy to feeling like <laughs> helium? Well, um, for me in that moment, I had a lot of, we could say, um, dysfunction in the connection of my joints. So I was very um, separated. You know, I had my hamstring muscles, my quad muscles. I don't even think I thought about how the spine worked in, in my rehab. It was all very joint and muscle centric. And so when you're isolating that in a gym environment or in a physical therapy environment, you're not orchestrating the whole system to work as one. You're not, you're not realizing that the head is connected to the pelvis and the feet are connected to the hips. And you know, that old age song, you know, this bone is connected to that bone. <laughs> and so what happened was I was, I was in this, I was flexing and flexing uh, my front body. So I'm contracting what's called the flexors, the abdominals, the hips, the quads, um, and in doing that, the spinal muscles and the hamstrings um, are lengthening, they're getting longer, but not just in a linear plane, there was rotation, because it was like, what's it like to imagine your ear coming to your knee, now the other ear, now the chin, now the forehead. So you're picking all these different places. Yeah. Um, so you're opening up what would be called the degrees of freedom of flexion. So it's not just a plane and it's also the intention and so it was like this masterpiece of unraveling all the tight tension in my back and in my hamstrings. And, and we could also say all the gluteal muscles and all the deep spinal rotators. And it just, it's like, um, it's more a sound. I think of it's like, like whew, just, it kind of just lets it all go. And so then you go to lift the head and there isn't all these guide wires of strong right. muscles holding your head like poof, down to the ground. And it allowed it such that I also could feel the floor. That was the other thing I think is that all my years of training and teaching, nobody ever said, can you sense the ground under you? Mm -hmm. It's just a given the ground is under us, but there was a way in which when you teach Feldenkrais, you feel how you move across the floor and how you use that as support 
as opposed to the muscles pulling you up. Yeah. And so that was the mechanism, if you will, um, for me in that moment. Of course, that wasn't everything, but it was a, a key piece to free up, you could say, energy in my mm -hmm. nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of it gives you that sort of ultimate relationship with awareness of your body as well. Um, yes. I've, I've done some of the Feldenkrais stuff that <clears throat> you've guided and, um, and then even gone and played with it. Like sometimes before bed, I'll lay in the bed and just kind of do very slow movements yeah. and all these sorts of things. And interestingly enough, it brings me back to a time when I was, I would call, you know, in my own way, I'm more of a high performance athlete. <laughs> mm -hmm. I used mm -hmm. to be damn, I'm a damn good athlete. Like I, I, I can say that I, very, I you. <laughs> you know, and and I, when I, as a pitcher, I used to pitch um, playing uh -huh. hardball. And, uh -huh. you know, I, I would always be, again, stroking my own ego here, I'd always be quite a bit better than all of my peers. And sure. um, the, they would ask me at that young age, you know, hey, how do I get better? What can I do? And what was odd, and I, and I know now through the stuff that we've learned, that you've taught me and, and through mm -hmm. all these different things, um, I know now more of what was happening in my body back then, which was I had this really great relationship with my body where I knew how to let my body go through the motions of mm -hmm. creating max torsion and yeah. max control when you're pitching yeah. Yeah. and, and stay in connected to my body. And in the moment, the whole time I would catch the ball back from the catcher and I would not pitch again until I've breathed in twice uh, from my belly. And then I wouldn't, after I'm done taking my signs, I would come up and I wouldn't pitch until I let my shoulders completely drop. drop. And then once I'm there, I would go And this, I, where did I get, I don't know where I got it from, but it was something natural. So this leads yeah. to another question is, yeah. you know, I was doing these things and it was felt normal and felt natural mm -hmm. to have that connection mm -hmm. that certainly got lost in some part of my life. Um, mm -hmm. when I was in my mid twenties and so forth and stress and mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I guess, I guess what is the, what are the mechanisms at play from, from your perspective that, that pull humans out of this natural connection with themselves? Great question. Cause I there's only, there's only one mechanism, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're funny, Joe. Um, well, no, I, what's interesting is that you knew how to do that as a kid. Like how old mm -hmm. would you have been? Uh, probably between, uh, maybe 11 and 18, 19. And no one so, taught you that. You just had that in your rubric. I always had this really incredible connection to your, you're supposed to let your body be. Like I used to skateboard. I did, I did quite a few extreme sports as well. Yeah. And I've fallen and yeah. hit, my face was the first thing to hit the ground. Mm -hmm. And it never had an injury because I always has, a, for some reason, I think, you know, thankfully I've never had an injury. I mm -hmm. always learned that you need to know how to become limp when you're doing extreme sports <laughs> so that you can fall and not get hurt. <laughs> and for some reason, I would be up in a bad situation. My board would come out from under me and you just fall and you just let yourself become a raggedy end all <laughs> instead of trying to brace and, yeah. you know, and for some reason it worked. Um, but I don't That's know, great. I don't know entirely where it came from. My, my past life, uh, interest goes into high gear when you tell me those things, cause it, it is rare for someone to just have that trait when yeah. 
we're in kind of this soup of conditioning around peers and family and coaches. So that's cool. To answer your question, I, I think that we lose that if we had it, I, I certainly didn't have that awareness when I was that age, even though I was athletic. Um, but that put aside, we get stuck in our head, you know, we're mm -hmm. working, we're going to school, we're figuring out how to make money, we're doing the daily chores of life. And then we might have a physical practice, like we might play squash, or we might run, or we might go to the gym, or swim, or have a soccer league where we play or whatever. But um, it's just for a very concentrated period of time in our week. Mm -hmm. And so I think just we don't integrate our body into day-to-day -day stuff when we're sitting at a computer, when we're driving. And so we're just like compartmentalizing our behaviors such that, okay, I'm cooking, therefore I'm cooking, I'm doing this there, but I'm not going to be connected to my body. The interesting yeah. thing is that, and I see this in our, in my students and your peers who you've met throughout my work is when you can really bring the focus of consciousness into the body while doing movement, if it's cooking or driving, you actually are constantly working on your awareness with your mm -hmm. body. Yeah. Um, whereas most people, the body is only for that hour at the end of the day when you go to that class. And even then, a lot of times people aren't even connected to their body. They're just there because they know they're supposed to be there. They're following yeah. the instructor, but their mind is completely checked out. Yeah. The intentionality is not quite there. It's not there. It's, yeah. it's completely, and this is why, you know, you would have all these injuries in yoga classes and fitness classes. People aren't listening to the limit and they're just pushing past because they're following the leader, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it makes me think of like, um, now that I think about it, as we're talking about, it, I'm listening to you. I'm like, you know, when I was young, I, we didn't have a finished basement and I mm. played, I played sports inside pretty well every day of my life. And oh, wow. I, I would climb the walls as a kid. I have a scar <laughs> on my, my hand here, climbing the unfinished basement walls and having a nail go in and, and right pull in. down. Sure. And, um, and then we had a backyard tree and we had a shed and I was always yeah. on the roof of that shed and I was always scaling fences and, you know, doing all the, <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, that's probably something that contributed to just really never losing a connection with my yeah. body and what it was capable of doing. And what I find interesting that your work helped me sort of come back in tune to is mm -hmm. when I went through a period of burnout through like late mm -hmm. 2017 to late 2019, mm -hmm. um, I didn't remember that the way out per se, um, or the way towards healing mm -hmm. was to get back in touch with the body. That wasn't like this natural thing that I yeah. thought of because it like you look around us and everything seems normal to be in your head and going and going mm -hmm. and going. Um, so getting back into the body is, is really interesting. And mm -hmm. I think that'll lead to this question of, you told me once, I remember sitting in a grocery store parking lot, listening to a message and you were saying this work, you know, really should come before so many other wellness practices or cognitive therapy practice or all these sorts of different things. And I remember, I remember that hit me like a ton of bricks, yeah. but I didn't know why it hit me. And then mm. it took a little bit of time for it to be like, oh my God, this is why it, you know, should come first. And I, I'd be curious for you to sort of break that down as to why your, your training and your expertise and that sort of stuff is important for people to think about before they do other practices. So 
Yes. I'm going to break this into a few pieces. So if we will talk the nervous, uh, it's all nervous system, but we'll talk more than uh, trauma stuff after. But if we think about movement, so when we're born, we don't know the world through talking and cognition. We know the world through our movement, how we are allowed to move, how we're held. Um, you know, babies need to be on the ground to learn how to roll and crawl. And I've, I've done some video projects on this, you know, look up baby live for those listening. And there's two beautiful videos of a baby that we filmed over the course of about 18 months, like every month, um, from when she's literally just laying there and all she can do is just move a tiny little bit of her arms and her head to she's crawling and, and all these things. And that is like so critical for human development, the movement of the body. And, um, I told this story a little while ago, um, in a training call, but when I was teaching Feldenkrais in Whistler, uh, one of the nurses came to my class and she said, um, you know, this is so interesting because we were doing rolling movements, you know, developmental movements and pushing up. And I mean, it, it is shocking how many adults do not know how to move their bodies and roll over and push up. A lot of humans are terrified to lie on their front because mm -hmm. their spines are so rigid and they don't have that flexibility to open up the lungs and everything collapses. So that's just not normal. You know, if an animal was in the wild and they didn't have the pliability of their joints to run and jump and crouch, they would be dead really fast. Yeah. And so she said to me, she said, so she visited visits from Whistler, um, which is fairly affluent for the most part up to an area um, called Mount Curry, which is where the Indian reservation is and then where there's a native reservation. And she would you know, go to all these homes to make sure the babies were doing okay, answer questions to the mom. And she said, it was always so interesting because the more affluent homes, the, the toddlers or the young infants cognitively were much more engaged. Mm -hmm. um, you could engage with them. They were talking or making sound but their motor skills were really poor. Hmm. And then if you went up to the Indian reservation in Mount Curry, the engagement skills were like terrible, but their motor skills were just impeccable. Hmm. And she said the reason why was because, um, sadly, the, the kiddos up in the reserve, um, they were left alone. Hmm. They were literally left alone on the floor as because a lot of there's so much alcoholism and, and abuse and 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 so they were just left with with their siblings, with the animals, and they learned how to move and how to crawl and get up on things much like you in your basement crawling around. So they had this impeccable joint structure and spine and because all of that develops that whereas the more affluent babies, we could say, um, were in devices probably in cribs, probably bundled up excessively with fancy clothing that they didn't need to be in. So that limits their ability to move. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I share that because the reason why we want to bring movement back and reteach movement, not just from a perspective of go to the gym and lift weights and do aerobic activity, that is important too. But this refinement of how we feel our joints, 
how we feel our head. Are we even aware that we're slouched? Most people have no clue that they're like this on their phones. Yeah. Right. Um, the reason why getting that differentiation and pliability back into the body is important is because if we think of the, the spinal cord that runs from the brain, right down and it, it's encased by the vertebra, all of those nerves come out to our limbs, face, gut, organs, reflexes. And so when that spine and when these joints are kind of deadened, and we're not alive with them, it, it limits this ability for good signaling and good sensory, neurosensory motor uh, adaptability and resilience. So movement is important and, and getting into the body from that perspective. Now, the one thing I learned after I got into the Feldenkrais work, because I got into that, I, I taught it, was having a great time teaching classes, but then there was a moment where I was seeing uh, clients who weren't getting better with this mm. Feldenkrais work. And that was kind of, we could say a, a gift from the gods, if you will, like you're missing another piece, Irene. And that was the shock trauma, the early trauma, the, um, the fact that some people you can try to teach them this Feldenkraisian stuff till the cows come home. But if they're locked in their survival patterns and not able to even feel, it's not going to do anything. And so I was someone who didn't have that kind of early neglect and trauma that so many people do. So I was able to infuse and bring in that Feldenkrais element quite naturally. But there are some who you can't start even with the movement. You have to start even more in the unconscious. And that's where that autonomic nervous system stuff comes in. Um, so I'll pause and I'll just wrap up that first part of the answer to say, we should start with this stuff because that's how the body developed initially mm. was through movement and through, so there's two pieces here, that layering of safety, connection, attunement. So if we think about those babies in the sea to sky corridor that I just talked about, the, the perfect situation is baby can roam and, and not be fastened to a jolly jumper or a walker and they're being connected with and loved and, and talked to and bundled up when they're cold and scared, um, sleeping with mom. You know, that's the other thing is, again, my, my mother from the Philippines, you would be amazed how many people can sleep in one room in the barrio <laughs> where she grew up, yeah. you know, like 20 people in one room on top of each other, just sleeping. But again, when the babies, babies want to be connected with when they're um, sleeping. They don't want to be yeah. alone in a room with pretty lights and wallpaper that means nothing to them. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. they want to be with mama, just like a baby, like a, a cub wants to be with mama bear. And so um, I, I will say quite factually, yes, we should start with these basic level neurodevelopmental um, elements, because that's how we progressed in our human design. And a lot of people are afraid to say that, but it's like, no, I've been doing this long enough that, you know, you, you have to start with these foundational elements before you can work high level cognition behavior change. Yeah. Um, and that's just, you know, just like a person goes in for a surgery, 
you should put them under anesthesia first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, there are some protocols yeah. that are shoulds and we're so afraid in this mind, body, nervous system world to say, actually, there is a way that this should be done. Yeah. Um, so that's a very long way of answering that question. I, I'm going to make an attempt here at, at trying to, to re-summarize once again, because um, you did a good job of summarizing and I, I almost want to kind of break up to, so you're kind of saying the, the nervous system part of it, the sensing, knowing how to orient yourself to sense safety, know what's in your environment and, and being able to sense what's going on and know what's going on in your body. The connection piece is nervous system related. So connection through the parent, the face, that sort of, yep. that whole thing, nervous system side, mobility side is moving and then having yes. the awareness of knowing how to move with the body, yes. all these things. And they sort of go hand in hand. Yes. So your nervous system expertise and, and your mobility expertise, uh, one is kind of Felden more. Would you say your mobility side is Feldenkrais? A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, Feld, I like to say Feldenkraisian, um, yeah. just because the method has holes in yeah. how it's taught often, but the main principles that Dr. Feldenkrais brought out were around awareness through movement, intentionality, finding movement, not through the muscles, but through the support of the environment. And then the muscles fall into place. Yeah. Um, so, th so there's other things, but that's kind of like a key foundation to his insight, which when you bring it into the human system can help recover stroke, paralysis, yeah. back pain, eyesight, like it's the fact that it can touch so many varied ailments shows that it is a working theory that is across all systems. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the idea here is, is bring education on board, like know if, if you, if you wanted to know how to better navigate your cognition and, or, or, it, you know, a pattern that you have, why not know how to sit with the emotions of that pattern, know how to know when you feel safe versus know when you don't, or know how to know when you're activated or like in an aroused state and what's going on in your body. So the more education you have on that, the better you can sort of move through things is, is essentially what you're saying. That and I will add, um, so yes, understanding this ability to, to be connected with the emotions, the sensations, and then the movement part is so interesting because um, I'll just give you an example. Like I've taught so many classes in person where I've got a sea of humans in front of me and um, there's, a, there's a very classic lesson that you learned in Smart Body, Smart Mind Joe called the bell hand. And it's this very gentle bringing of the fingers together um, and the thumb to the, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth. And the, the premise of that lesson, if you can recall, is to restore an equal tone to the whole body. And so I'll teach this. And, and I often know the people who are there in the workshops because they were, you know, students or clients and those who are a little more, let's say, dysregulated um, and have just strong survival mechanisms still in their body, I will say, you know, soften the hand. How can you soft? And their hand is like this. No word of a lie. Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. isn't to make fun of them. It's just I, I you watch one person and they're really softening. And then the next person, it's coming in and they don't they they mo the motor system 
cannot soften because they are so terrified yeah. of the world and they were treated so friggin' badly that they can't soften because to soften means that the guard goes down. Yeah. And so how do you work with that? Well, you might have to have them look and go, does this look like a soft hand? And then that's where you might have to get them to, I mean, there's a whole, whole lesson okay. there that we can yeah. go into. But when you look at that, you go, wow, if someone isn't aware that their movement is that rigid and they think they're this fluid, beautiful dancer and they're not, there's a discrepancy there. Mm -hmm. And so it will be very difficult for that individual to learn, to form relationships, to think because their, their core motor sensory nervous system is, is not sending the right signal through. Yeah. And so that's where the movement is really interesting because when you can really um, soften that movement along with getting out of survival, which is I think where my work brings those two things together, until you can do that again, it's very hard to change our thought process. It's, it's hard to learn because we're up against this boulder of protection Mm -hmm. um, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think, I think I often think as I've gone through a lot of this work, I look back at certain people. I mean, th this is the one thing I'll preface. It's like, I don't think anything you've ever said or taught or anything that's being talked about on this podcast is, is meant to be like a super generalization where it's like, if, if somebody had X experience, that means that yeah. they're going to be like, it's all case by case basis, everything. Yeah. Right. But that said, you know, I've often used this work to, to bring back curiosity about instances in my life, people I've met where when they're doing sports per se, they look mechanical and it seems like their body can't do certain movements and they're like yeah. 15 years old, right? And you're yeah. thinking you're not struggling from, let's say, a, some sort of injury or some sort of uh, old, like what you might think is old age, I just losing movement. It's like there's something that is making people. Yeah. And so you re you re you really get curious about like, yeah. huh, I wonder if that person doesn't have that. It's sort of like that, um, yeah. you know, that, Dext that motor dexterity. skill that's just yep. not quite as, mm -hmm. as developed. And, and then of course it, they could, you know, they yes. could redevelop that. And, um, I was actually watching a, a friend of mine, um, who's kind of going through this experience to some extent, always thought they were a person who I'm just not athletic at all. And uh, uh, very, very sort of traumatizing childhood. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but now you're seeing like this movement start to open up and mm -hmm. it's, it's really interesting to watch, but um, kind of. I'm going to add something there. We're all meant to be athletic. Yes. This yeah. is the, this is the, this is the uh, big lie. <laughs> you know, the way that the school system screwed us. It's like, you're an academic, you're a jock, yeah. you're this, yeah. you're that, you're a creative person, you're a bookworm. And it, I, I don't really like the, um, this, this labeling of not just personality, but what people are good at. And I think, again, going back to the story of those babies in the Sea to Sky Corridor, like, if you were to give a, a human at the beginning, the nurture, the play, the curiosity, you allow them to climb things and, you know, not freak out that they're going to mm -hmm. kill themselves. And, and also the way we're fed food, 
you know, like we're given baby food. It's like, why, why aren't we just giving normal, like, like it just, there's so many factors that disallow the human being to become this amazing specimen of goodness and athletic capability. Um, I mean, this is a whole other topic, but like, we're all meant to be athletic. And when I meet people who say, oh, I'm not athletic, I'm so clumsy, you know, it's like, well, that's not, that's how you are now, but yeah. you have the, you have the blueprint to not be that way. But then there's so much fear and yeah. conditioning that says, I'm not that person. Yeah. So and there's, there's a lot of, I, and I find this is what's, what's troublesome about so much of this, including a lot of the wellness work is this, um, we're, we're more inclined to want to shut down what is possible, mm -hmm. then we are inclined to be curious about what could be possible. And, yeah. you know, I think back to when I was in school and in elementary school and, and these sorts of things. And, and, you know, if I didn't, if I wasn't such a, you know, sort of this person who always thought outside the box, I'd, I, I like, I'd probably think I'm stupid because I was yeah. told, you know, everything was you're dumb, you're an idiot, you're not intelligent, yeah. whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And the only time I, I got on the honor roll in high school was when somebody made me a bet to, you know, basically do it. But otherwise it's like, I just didn't enjoy the container that was school. Yeah. And I was uh, more of the athlete. So I was always told you're the yeah. athletic type. You're not really the, you know, the brainy, the intelligent type. And I'm like, well, no, it's just, I don't want to apply myself in, in here. Right. Mm -hmm. And just think of how many people are kind mm -hmm. of having that experience and, and what we start to believe about ourselves. And then now, now, now spread that, it, that out into an entire society and what that's going to look like. Oh yeah. I was not a gifted kid, Joe. Like I yeah. still remember the classroom I was in where the gifted kids got to go to the library to use the new computers Oh boy! and the non-gifted kids had to stay in and do more reading and writing. And what was so interesting is that if I was a kid now, I would have been labeled with all the things. Um, and parents probably would have been told you got to do something about Irene. She's, you know, yeah. and thankfully for whatever reason, my parents just were almost neglectful. They didn't care. They just, they, they knew that I was bright, that I could do things at the house and I could work at the animal hospital. They knew I wasn't stupid. And so they never put any onus on the fact that I was literally failing from grade one, um, to grade 10, you know, it just, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it wasn't, um, it, it, they never scolded me. They never said, you've got to do better. And I, I sometimes wonder where that came from, but I think it's because my dad struggled in school and my mom grew up in the Philippines where they wrote on banana leaves. You know, it just, it wasn't an, a big issue that yeah. I wasn't academically, uh, strong in elementary school <laughs> because God, I went off to do high level calculus and I friggin' loved it and biochemistry. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just, so I think of all the kids who are like in grade one or two and are under so much stress having yes. to go to after school classes and tutors like frog it just let them play learn yeah. how to cook go go and go to the playground and um it it worries me i get a little hyped up because people would think that i was this smart intelligent kid and i was not yeah right yeah. um and it just shows that it depends how you're nurtured mm -hmm. in your family environment it can, it can be the anecdote to the system that's saying your kid is, there's a problem here. Yeah. 
And the oh, kid, sure. the parents have to protect their kids because yeah. they will figure it out. You know, life skills are important and that will keep you going. So yeah. thanks mom and dad for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was the, it's, it's funny because there was one person when I was growing up who, who happened to be a teacher of mine. And, um, mm -hmm. and I became really good friends with her, uh, just on a personal relationship level. Mm -hmm. And she always would say, you know, Joe, you're going to end up in university one day. And, mm. and I was always like, no, I, I never want to be in school ever again. Yeah. Cause I, I was the guy who went into my math exam too. And I calculated for the first five minutes, exactly how many questions I needed to do and what I needed to get on the questions so that I could only do half the exam pass and move and just, <laughs> So I, I wrote a 45 minute exam in, in a, for a three hour exam and, uh, and my teacher failed me because he lost some of my homework. So he failed me by 3%. And then I went to the guidance counselor and that's when I learned that authority figures are, uh, you know, not ideal. But anyway, <laughs> the, the point is, is she always used to say that cause she knew I was intelligent and, yeah. and, but I never applied myself in school and I knew what she was yeah. trying to say. Yeah. Um, but to think she was the only adult that ever saw that and recognized that because every other adult was looking at my, my grades and saying, yeah. Oh, well, you yeah. know, you're just, you're not performing. Yeah. Um, I had some good teachers. Yeah. I, I, I had some good teachers. So yes, thank you to the good teachers Yeah. that, that do that for kids. So yes, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Um, just a quick moment before we get back to our conversation. If you want to support this podcast and all the work we do here at the Pulse and Collective Evolution, consider becoming a member of our Explorer Lounge. As a member, you get access to exclusive video content. You can watch all of these episodes ad-free, and you get access to our private social network where you can discuss and learn about many topics with a like-minded community of changemakers. It's truly an incredible place to be, not just for the benefits that you get, but you're directly supporting our dedicated team here at Collective Evolution and The Pulse. Visit explorelounge.one, that's dot O-N-E, to learn more. All right, let's get back to the show. So with all that said, um, and the capabilities of, of who we are as, as, as humans and how society and the way society is designed can often sort of pull us out of our natural state in many ways. Um, and then you sort of laid out this nice little frame as to why it's important for us to be attuned with the body, attuned with the nervous mm -hmm. system and have some of this knowledge and mm -hmm. know how to, to be with our experiences. This leads into an interesting, um, I want to say useful sort of trend of sorts that's happening that I know you just did a, a an interview with, with a young mm -hmm. a fella on, um, actually I have no idea how young he is. It's, it, it, he looks like he's in his like thirties or so probably. I, I think he's late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. So young enough. I mean, I'm 35 <laughs> I or 36. Younger than I me, can... I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, it's the subject of ayahuasca uh, yeah. and plant medicine in general. And, um, yeah. not, you know, and it's not to say just to preface right off the top that there's anything, you know, horribly wrong with all these things. There's mm -hmm. a, a time to play. I have a ton of friends who are very like extremely respectful of this medicine. And then yeah, I have people that too. are, are not, yeah. um, and uh, I kind of want to, in the frame of having this knowledge on board prior to doing these experiences, uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about your observations and even, you know, mm -hmm. the interview that you did with, uh, with yeah. Juan Pablo there. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he put a comment in one of my Facebook forums about his experience with the nervous system, for example. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he... he um, 
if I recommend listening to the interview because again, neither of us are saying don't do this. It's just a story. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's a personal story and he was very aware and attuned as a kid and um for whatever reason just, you know, wanted to try this medicine that has been quite popular. Um and where it went wrong is he was in the ceremony and he had the first I haven't done ayahuasca. So, you know, I'm going by what he said, but the first uh, batch of the first sip of the tea and he was feeling fear, like, and, and it was very clear, like, I'm not sure I want to do more. Yeah. And then the shaman, I don't even know if I could call the person the shaman, the facilitator <laughs> who said they were a shaman said, no, you'll be fine. Something like that. Like, yes, yes, yes. Do, do more. And that was the first, uh oh in my opinion, when he told me that story, because he actually had the intelligence to say, I'm not so sure I want to go further. I'm yeah. feeling enough. Anyway, long story short, he went through hell in the ceremony and led to over a year plus of what we would consider psychotic break. Mm -hmm. um, dysregulation, you know, I titled the, the talk, Ayahuasca Destroyed My Nervous System, not because I made that up. Those were his words. Yeah. Yes, it's a little clickbaity, but why not, you know? And so people watching. Yeah, and but you know, he had he recovered eventually because he found not me, um, but someone else who does who's a colleague of mine in Mexico, and she helped him so much and he started to research and learn, and then that led to, you know, my videos and he started learning about the nervous system and and I would say, as I said to you before we started recording, I'd say 99.9% .9 of the comments have all been, thank you for sharing this or other practitioners who have said, thank God, someone is finally talking about the dangers of this. And then we had a little bit of commentary that's like, you know, that's just not nice. Yeah. And people will say, well, you know, clearly the medicine did what it was supposed to do. Cause look at him now. It's like, yeah, well, he's a lucky one that he didn't end his life because yeah, people yeah. do end their lives. Is that the way that we're supposed to go? You know, is that maybe what's, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, and so what, what is important to understand, and this is more macro, when we have been brought into this world and we've been thrown into a soup of dysregulation, insecure attachment, abuse, medical procedures that we don't even realize were as traumatizing as they were. Humans are so good at compartmentalizing their pain, emotional, physical. I mean, look at something like dissociative identity disorder, which once was called multiple personalities. I've done some reading and research into that. It is exquisite how the human brain and body can create hundreds of alters in one nervous system. Yeah. That gives you an indication of how much trauma and how much stress we can store without knowing it's even there. Mm -hmm. And so then you add in this potent natural medicine from the earth that does serve a purpose and has worked for a long time, no doubt, with many people and many tribes, but you give yeah. it to a human who's been westernized, conditioned, and has no clue how much they're storing. And you could have a recipe for disaster, 
Um, and so this is where, yes, this foundational work is so important. And then I might, you know, be so bold to say, if you do the foundational work and you get into your movement, I mean, you've experienced, Joe, when you get into some of these developmental movement patterns, so much can uncover. Like, oh, yeah. do you even need this medicine? I'm not so sure. If I think about the insane healing responses I've had just from getting some simple body work, mm -hmm. listening, tracking, like, I don't think I need any more help. Like, enough is coming out. So yeah. that's an overview of kind of how I see that, that story, his experience, and then... And I'll also say under that same video, you know, people were like, this happened to me after a breathwork session. This happened mm -hmm. to me after a 10 day Vipassana retreat. This happened in a Kundalini yoga. This happened in da, 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 da. you know, and it's like, it isn't just that, that it's, it just shows how uh, fragile, in my opinion, a system is when they haven't considered what they've stored. Yeah. Yeah. And so when, when you do, this sort of work, the nervous system, uh, and you have that on board, you can get a better mm -hmm. understanding. And, and as even, I think you've shared a lot, it's also, you have a much better understanding of yourself, but there's still some stuff that'll come and surprise you here and there <laughs> out of the woodworks over the years. But, um, yeah. but having that, that better understanding, it gives you a totally different insight and, and mm -hmm. perspective as to what you're doing when you're taking uh, some of these medicines. And mm -hmm. interestingly, what I do find fascinating, because I do have a, a friend who's made it his entire career sort of uh, bringing ancient medicines uh, from mm -hmm. usually indigenous tribes to the world. Mm -hmm. And um, but it's, you know, it's a lot of herbs, these sorts of things. Sometimes yeah. it is ayahuasca. He has raised a ton of awareness about ayahuasca and, and these sorts of things. But mm -hmm. um, these tribes aren't doing this medicine in the way that the Westerners are. They're not bringing 60 people in a room calling, you know, themselves shamans and then, you no. know, taking a, a huge, it's very, most of the time it's, uh, guess what? It's titrated. It'll be, I take one person out into the forest with the, with the yeah. clan's shaman and here, take this little sip of ayahuasca. Here, let's play with this for a day. Mm -hmm. And they'll play and they'll be in the nature and they'll do whatever. And of course they didn't have their phones, you know, for the last 10 weeks prior, of course, because they don't have no. them. No. And then, and then, then maybe two days later, take a little bit of a larger dose and they'll, they'll build up, they'll do different things for different people. Mm -hmm. And it's a completely different process. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet now, um, and I'll, you know, I'll bring up, there's a, there's a place and I'll, I'll just name the place because I, I really sure. do want people who are yeah. going to go there. I want them to think twice about it. Um, mm -hmm. but there's a, a, a place called Rhythmia and we went there, our whole team went there. And um, I would say it's sort of like a, a place where it's great. They're trying they're, to do their best. I think they're, yeah. you know, they have some great things going on, but there's a lack of wisdom that's holding the space within that place. And mm -hmm. um, I've heard lots of stories, you know, I would say the vast majority of people um, are going there. They're kind of having an experience. It's very trippy. It's cool. But a couple of weeks later, they're back in the same spot mm -hmm. and there's not a healing. And mm -hmm. I wonder, because I know that saying this and for a lot of people who've, and I, I've been around tons of people who've, who've done these medicines um, and I've watched them do it, them feel good for three weeks and then they're back to their same old self yep. and then they'll do it and they'll be on their 20th you know, time doing it. And, yep. and it's the same pattern. 
what do you think is happening in their system when they keep just reverting back to that same, that same self for the most part? Um, what's that saying about insanity? The same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that sums it up. So, you know, as someone who facilitates workshops and groups, and I've been doing this for a long, long time, like 15 plus years, whether it was fitness or Feldenkrais or, or, or nervous system stuff, I, I love group, like going into a group and teaching for like four days, whatever. But there is also part of it that I ethically sometimes don't like because it's not a person's routine. Hmm. So, I'm, so like I prefer to do a workshop in the city where people have to find their own accommodation, where they have to find their own food and they leave at the end of the day and they do their own thing and then they come back. So there's a point to this story. So, mm-hmm. so the last time I taught a, a workshop, um, Feldenkrais based and dance based is something I do with a colleague. Um, we call it up and down, which is more movement and dance in Qigong. We did it at a workshop space in Santa Cruz called 1440 Multiversity, which is kind of like a schwank Silicon Valley haven. Um, it's a nice place, but it's so um, concrete and just it, it, it's... I didn't love it. And what we noticed, what Elia and I noticed, because we had taught so often in Vancouver, in cities, Stockholm, Brighton, New York, um, was there was something not landing. Like the level of depth people were going into just wasn't quite the same. And then we were eating in the cafeteria one lunch or night. I looked around and I was like, huh. Because people are there on their own usually, you know, or maybe they're there with a spouse, but most people are there on their own. And so they go to eat and they see people from the workshop. And then there's this choice point where they have to decide, do I, am I friendly and social? Because if I go and eat alone, someone might try to invite me over, but I just need to process and eat my soup. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you, you have this morning session that's so great. And then you go into the social dynamic and it's like high school. And because people haven't done enough maturing to know boundaries, they'll infuse and they'll not let the work integrate. And I saw a significant difference in the workshop participants at the end that just wasn't quite as refined as when people had to go off and do their own things. So I Mm -hmm. share that because plant medicine put aside, the retreat experience where you're going on this big journey and expecting this massive blow up change. Yeah. The thrill of the the airplane, the thrill of a different place, different foods, that is going to give you a high that has nothing to do with healing. It's just it's like you're stimulating your system in a different environment. Sure. Yeah. Um and so then you add on a medicine that that takes you into a different level of let's say consciousness, body awareness. And then you get thrown back into the busy Mexico City airport. And if you're not integrating it, your system is just going to shut down. Yeah. It's not going to know that it's just because it has to, because it can't handle the energy, the vibe, the security, the bad smells, whatever. And then you pop back into home. And most people, Joe, 
don't take a week off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Most people don't have food prepared in the fridge so that they don't have to go and cook and do all these things. They just go right back in to their environment. Um, and there's no integration. Yeah. Right. And so that's a long way of saying, I think even the way that these things are facilitated in these beautiful places, there's nothing wrong with going to a beautiful place, but I often wonder how much is not integrating because there's no pre and after care. Sure. And when I, when we are teaching our retreats, we always say, you know, we can't force someone to show up early, but we say, please, if you can arrive at least one day before, and if you can, don't fly out that night, stay idea. at least one night. And we, we, we would get, um, messages afterwards saying, thank you. I never even considered doing that. And it allowed me to actually let this medicine of movement infuse so that it, it integrated. Um, and it boggles my mind that more people don't think of doing that on their own. Yeah. But I just think it isn't, it's just not common culture to take time and a little bit of a extended siesta. Um, so that's a long way of saying, uh, I think that the retreat model even has its own pitfalls. Yeah. And then yeah. you throw in this powerful natural substance and A, it might work really well for some people and B, it might not. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the integration piece is can be broken down into multiple different ways of looking at it too, of like, mm -hmm. how can you integrate something if you're not sure how to track entirely exactly. what's even happening in your system, in your body and what's going on. And, um, I remember attending and listening in on one of the integration course or well talks that they did at, um, at Rhythmia. And it was very clear that the, the practitioner, um, wasn't sure of how to teach this um, in a particular way. And, and it's not to knock them as much as it is to the, the way, whenever somebody asks me about, about plant medicine, I always, you know, if you're drawn, if you're deeply drawn um, and you can yeah. feel that, I say, go for it, right? Yeah. Um, I was one of the first people way back in, you know, 2009 to be writing very extensively and creating a lot of content around uh, my interest in psilocybin and um, mm -hmm. the research that was being done by, by MAPS. And I saw huge healing potential. Mm -hmm. But if you were to look at what the psychedelic research states, for the most part, it's, mm. it's not go do this in a in a retreat setting. That is not yeah. how they're telling you. That is not how they're getting good clinical results. They're getting good clinical results through one-on-one um, -on -one work, through Controlled. very careful, yes, yeah. very careful settings, um, sometimes titrated settings. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, you know, I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know, but sometimes they're following up with people quite regularly. So they're, they're part of something for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there's this culture of well, the ayahuasca will do all the healing for you, which is absolutely not what the experience is, right? Yeah. The whole point yeah. is it's supposed to show you something and then you go yeah. do the work, right? Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a lot there. What you said about, sorry, about integration, um, I, I don't think one can integrate if they're not aware of how to track the body. It goes back to that. Um, yeah. 
because my sense is, and again, this is just from being an observer seeing, is if one is having to do these 20, 30, 40 times, something's getting missed. Yeah. I, you know, and when I watch some of the um, footage that I see from various retreats, there's, you know, a sea of people. And, and this isn't necessarily ayahuasca. This is like group retreats. People are laying down. They have covers over their face. The facilitator is there crying with them and, and doing body yeah. work and they're breathing and having been in clinical, like not clinical practice, but practice with humans and facilitating deep, deep releases of old stuff. I would never ask someone to come in and a film this or watch it. And I'm certainly not on the floor with my client crying with them. Yeah. In my opinion, that's reckless and that's not showing them that they can do this on their own, that they're, it's like they're needing this, um, enzyme to like shake them up. Mm -hmm. And, and then a person goes home and then they're like, they don't know what to do on their own. Yeah. So there, again, there's a lot of, and then there's performance showmanship. I'm seeing a lot of that. Oh, yeah. Lots of that. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of that. I'm seeing a lot of stuff go viral where people are like getting trauma responses from people and they're shaking and there's crying. And yes, that happens, but it's like the quantum thing of once the, there's an observer there, it kind of changes it and in, in some ways might poison it. Um, so there's a sacredness to the healing work yeah. that we do with ourselves. And it's just been so commercialized mm -hmm. and um, glamorous. Yeah. And everyone's beautiful and tanned. And yeah. I remember you telling me that example about you went to a, a breathing ice bath thing and everyone's, you yeah, know, grunting yeah. and 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 the people are like okay now just feel your body track and you're you said to me how do people know to even do this if they've never learned how yeah i would uh, this goes back to the wim hof training which uh, you know i'll say you know wim's an incredible guy i think his training and stuff that stuff works uh very well in certain instances but what mm -hmm. i found fascinating I, I attended uh the first north american training with a friend of mine that that there ever was and they yeah. were at the beginning stages of 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 training. So I want to preface by saying they could have, they could have changed this since then. It's been a lot of years, like probably yeah. eight years since I did this. Yeah. But at the beginning it was, you know, the idea of the cold therapy was to notice the, like, it's not about how, like most people online, it's like, I can stay in the cold for like <laughs> six minutes and stuff. It's guys, it's not yeah. about how no, long you can, time. you know, Wim actually tells you go in the cold for five seconds and come out. Yeah. And, yeah. and then he'll tell you, notice your body notice what's going on and the reality is a lot of people don't know how to notice and they don't know what's going on and they don't know what's happening and how to track it they're mm -hmm. they're just kind of going sort of like how you were saying earlier about the routines I, I show up at the yoga retreat at the end of the day and i'm doing the yoga but they're not sure what they're really looking for yeah. and there's a subtlety there that's really hard and part of the discussion in the wim hof training is to activate the brown fat around sure. around the chest right yeah and yeah. and to do that and and i I achieved it once, but it took, um, like during the training, but it took a, a deep level of sort of focus. And most of the guys are getting out and they're, they're kind of going through these things, but they're talking and they're chit chatting oh, in five yeah. minutes and three minutes. And, yeah. Oh, I got to get back in the, the cold again. The and selfie. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's not, um, 
it's not there's not enough in the whole booklet they they have the very basic version of what the nervous system is the parasympathetic mm. versus sympathetic mm. and there's no polyvagal there's no deeper understanding of kind of right. what's going on and it's not to say that again it's it's wrong i'm not trying to, to shit on whim here it's more so how important this is in helping people track right yeah. what's going on like i have friends that message me all the time yeah I, I started doing wim hof and i started doing this i'm doing i'm doing the cold specifically i'm doing the extended cold therapy and oh how's it going for you i don't know it's not working yet well what's happening <laughs> well i'm i'm feeling sometimes more stressed out and more activated after and i'm like right because cortisol <laughs> yeah it's not that's not it's not that you're not supposed to just do it right and so no. that i think is a again just a nod to it's not that these modalities and i think you talked about this it's not that these like modalities are wrong or don't mm -hmm. do them but by having this stuff first hydrotherapy for example can be more therapeutic yeah can you expand on kind of that idea of well, how these things can be therapeutic sure i mean if we talk about hydrotherapy and cold i mean i have a i have a forge down below you know on the bottom level of my house here that's freaking cold you know and um Seth, my husband was saying the other, cause there was a part that was broken. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so he's like online trying to find like, should it be making this sound? And it shouldn't have. Right. And, but in search of this filter that was busted, he f was looking at all these videos and he found this one video where a guy was like, yeah, I just go in. And like, as soon as my skin goes numb, I just am able to stay in so much longer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, it's a good, you know, and the thing is, is hypothermia is no joke. Yeah. I've lost friends to hypothermia and it's, it happens really quickly. And mountain that numbing, days? pardon? Your mountain climbing days? Uh, no, uh, um, people that were um, racing ultra stuff and were like kayaking and oh, okay. in, in ocean water. Yeah. Mm. Not nice. Um, but the moment you're you don't feel means that you're going into that dorsal shutdown of the parasympathetic and you're right understanding the polyvagal ladder and theory is so important because if you are going into a, sh a true shutdown response um you're actually going into more a trauma response yeah. your system is alerting danger we have to pull in all the guns and that is why people will feel more stressed they won't be able to sleep because the cortisol and adrenaline has been jacked up but then you pass a point where then the system goes into shutdown yeah. anyway so that is important to understand but um so again depends on the person someone who has a severe autoimmune condition fibromyalgia, um, who can't even go outside without a jacket on and they like they, they freeze up, do yeah. not do cold therapy. You know, that is yeah. too intense. You're, it's possible that the person has no, what we would call window of tolerance. They're living yeah. in a false window of tolerance. And that is where you have to treat that person like they are a newborn baby. Mm -hmm. As crazy as that sounds, gentle, titrated, easy things to build up capacity. Um, and so hydrotherapy as a therapeutic is wonderful for circulation, getting an exercise induced stress response, you know, sauna 
is a good way for a person to get their heart rate up. But again, granted, their physiology can handle it. Yeah. And so there's so much benefit to cold and hot and hot cold. Um, but you have to understand your physiology because if you can't feel your body going numb, you do run the risk of going into more stress response. And that's not good. Yeah. You want yeah. you want to come out of like, and it's great that when was like five seconds, because you just want to shock the system enough to have a response. Yep. And then you come out and then and then the blood dilates and you want that feeling just like exercise. Yeah. But again, someone who's dysregulated, I'm not going to go tell them to do 30 minutes on the treadmill. I'm yeah. going to say, can you walk to the end of your driveway, stop, feel your heart rate, feel it go down. Ah, okay. It goes down. Okay. Now walk back to your door. Yeah. And as remedial as that sounds for some people, their nervous systems are so dysregulated that you need that level of titration. And then eventually you might be able to do 30 minutes on the treadmill. Yeah. I don't know if that answers yeah. your question. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I think I, I, it absolutely to summarize, it's kind of like this idea of small, tiny little bits, plus having a, you know, a great awareness of your body and your system and what's going on is mm -hmm. what allows these therapies to actually work in a work. meaningful long-term way. Yes. And I think this is, you know, as somebody for the last 15 years, and I'm sure you can absolutely speak to this too, you know, who's been around the health and wellness space and who's been around all this stuff. I've seen every modality I've seen. I've tried so oh, many yeah. things I've been around, you know, and I've watched the big gurus out there who have all their podcasts and all their thus talking about mm -hmm. stuff. The, and I, and you get to know what people's, personality and lives are like behind their Instagram, mm -hmm. you know, persona. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the general thing is, is that most of, of the therapies have about a 25 to 30% success rate. Meaning, you know, even people who, and I, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on Joe Dispenza here, but he has a, <laughs> a small success rate for people who are having profound change. Yes. And and that's okay, right? Uh, you know, yeah. whims, whims stuff. Um, there's a small success rate. There's a lot of people who do it and it's not happening. And I think that this discussion we're having where there's a deeper underlying dysregulation of our nervous system and an inability to, to sit and track and be with ourselves and to notice the subtlety. What's, what do you find fascinating about the vast majority of these modalities? They're loud, extreme, and, and like very intense. Where does the magic of this work all happen? In the subtleties, the tiny little pieces and the changes, right? That's what I've learned, you know, in, in, in through this is yeah. the subtlety is key. So the thing that's interesting, because I've talked to Seth about this, my husband, we talk about these things all the time, is you look at one of those big retreats, you know, he's on mm -hmm. the stage and it's it's very um it has a religious feel to it. Mm -hmm. You know, like you see those, those healings where the person comes up and, you know, and they're walking and, and I have no doubt that that can happen. But yeah. in that, in that setting, there is a field that is created mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of intense intention of the people there. And you are in many ways having a miracle healing in that yeah. moment. I agree and know that that stuff happens just like distant prayer has yeah. been documented to work. Yeah. But again, what happens when that person leaves? 
Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know when there's those miracle stories. Can we follow that person up in three years? Yeah. And I, like, just have to say, they, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say like, you know, we're, we're not trying, cause it's easy to, for people listening to be like, oh, well, you know, you're into the nervous system stuff. You're just trying to say everything else is not good. Right. Nope. It's I, what you're saying. The specifics of what you're saying is what is really important it's what I've observed in my life over and over again. And that's why I say, you, I mean, I'm assuming you observe it too, where I'm not concerned about the experience somebody had at that retreat. Just like you said, it's, it's what are they like two years, three years, four years, and do they have the knowledge to navigate that yep. part of themselves? And from yep. what I've seen, the vast majority of people I know that are, that are doing other modalities without this underlying stuff are not having success that is longer than either two weeks, a month, a, a year, month two so. years, whatever yeah. it might be. And um, I just wanted to put that on the table that we're not trying yeah. to shit on people here. No, <laughs> It's like, it's the long term. It's the big picture. It is. And I think, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get away from that. Um, I don't know what the word would be, Joe, but from the guru that's on the stage and mm-hmm. everyone's flocking to them. I, I sometimes find myself feeling that if I do a workshop and everyone comes up and they're crying, you know, you've changed my life and that's lovely to hear, but I am very careful and cautious because I do not want someone to latch to me as if I'm Mm -hmm. the person healing them. And you know that through doing like, it's like, please, you have to learn this for yourself and leave me out of it. Like, if anything, I hope you can do this without me ever being in your presence, please, because that's impossible for one person to be that, that God, for example, to all their disciples. And so there's an interesting, you know, if I had all the time in the world, I would study a little bit more of that because I think it's really interesting um, because it, it puts the energy to the, to the leader, the guide, the teacher, and then they, it's not that they're doing it, I think maliciously, but who knows, maybe some people are because of their insecurities, but it's like, gosh, the healing is in the person and it's not enough sometimes for a person to just know that they need to be taught just like as little kids mm-hmm. to go back to the baby, we need to talk to kids so that they talk. And we need to teach them right from wrong. So there needs to be that teaching aspect. But there is this, like, I'm hoping that there's a shift in how people see teachers that they're not, like, I've had so many teachers. I'm certainly not going to be with the teachers that taught me in my, you know, university years forever. Like, they need to leave. Yeah. Like, and, but there's this fall, like, this devote following that I find sometimes in these communities where it's like, oh, I have to go see this person like three times a year. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. if you have to do that, then there's something missing in that teacher's ability to give you the tools so that you can be your own healer and teach others or help others. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I'm curious. I mean, you said, you know, even with kids, like how would you if, if, if this is so important for our baseline and it's easy for us uh-huh. to, to, to fall out of it, um, and society isn't really doing us favors at the moment, mm-hmm. how could we potentially bring this to kids? Like why, what stops this from being in, in a kindergarten class in a grade one, two, three, four, five, you know, how could this be brought and, and teachers embrace this work? 
the teachers have to embrace it first. Yeah. And the parents have to embrace it. And this is the tricky part. Um, because I do know a lot of school teachers and you can bring this into a curriculum, but if the kiddo goes home and it doesn't match up with what they're learning in school, it will create more of a riff in their system because they'll feel what maybe they should be experiencing in that school environment. And then they get plopped back into a, doesn't have to be abusive or neglectful, but a misattuned household. Yeah. And then they have to shift themselves. It's kind of like kids that um, are in divorced families where the, the kid is with one parent one week and then another parent the other week. And this has happened to my husband. He had to change who he was depending on whose house he was in. Mm. that created a lot of his complex PTSD when I met him mm. in his thirties. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of people will say, Oh, Irene, how can we get this into here? How it's like, yeah, I, I know we need to, but it's not as simple as just creating a curriculum. There needs to be buy-in at the home level. Yeah. And the parents have to be interested because one of the more painful things when I worked in private practice was working with kids whose parents didn't give a shit about their own healing. And like, they just pop literally drop them off on my doorstep, fix my kid, but I'm not going to do anything to understand why this right. might be happening. Cause it yeah. probably had something to do, you know, unless it was like a, like a medical emergency or a, a trauma at birth. Usually that kid has troubles because and again, I'm not saying this is always the case, but there's, there's something going on with the parents. There's something going on with the mom, the dad, and that is being infused into the kid. And then the kid's the problem and let's fix the kid. So, um, I don't know what the way would be to get this into schools other than individuals learning about this and then starting to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and I think that is a good first step, just like people will say, you know, you can't change the systems. You have to change the people who then eventually create a new system. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's starting to happen and then I see other things and I go, oh gosh, we have so much work to do, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's funny cause that's, I don't, I don't sense at least that that that's from like this judgmental state as much as it's like this, we do really are in a conundrum as humanity mm -hmm. right now in an mm -hmm. important time to sort of figure out what direction we want to take and where we want to go. And, you know, just like you mentioned with the systems, you know, versus the people, right. And, and what's going on behind people. Um, look at cryptocurrency, what's happening right now, right? I the, can't even follow what's going on. What's tell me what's going on. <laughs> a, a quick I have rundown. some of it. I'm just yeah. like, what's going on? <laughs> a quick rundown is we're just seeing that these systems and the mindset that is being brought to this, what what initially started out as a as a solution to pull power away from central banks to to yes. solve that problem. And and for those yeah, that are listening that, that don't understand the, you know, the underlying issue with our existing economic systems are is that you know central banking is creating a, a story of perpetual debt, but mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies came to to stop that right but what happened this this dominating aggressive 
you know, sort of capitalistic mindset infected crypto to the point where it became this wild west for people to just make tons of money and start all these companies in the spirit of what it was and and the beingness that was initially being held that created crypto as a solution just got lost in the same worldview the same same thinking the same body the same nervous system that is out there to fight and survive and control and you know and Mm -hmm. so so here we go are we really waiting for solutions or are we waiting for, you know, an evolution of our species? And, you know, it's a, it's an interesting question. Yeah. I remember someone saying, uh, I am no expert in this, but I try to learn little bits when I can. Uh, I think it was Catherine Austin Fitz said that, um, who's an economist said that people think that that currency can't be touched. She's like, they have no clue. Like, <laughs> They think that it's, and it's, and she was right as like, you're so friggin' right. And you're right that the mindset had the same, uh, kind of, um, Wolf of Wall Street energy to it, like more, more, more. And, and, and nothing, I am, I am not against capitalism and a person working hard and making good money. It's to me, that's fine. Cause what you do with that money is what matters. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, there was this underlying survival because I would follow people who are all about the crypto to try to understand it. And I just got pissed off. I'm like, you're screaming at me just like the other pre- people. Yeah. Like this yeah. is still survival based. So yeah. I fully agree. I think it's it's interesting. Um, I think that, you know, to kind of not wrap up so much, but just look at some of the things we've talked about. One of the fundamental things I... I sense that is still not landing even in my colleague space and in in the the trainings that I was born into and graduated from is that the the healing and the the evolution the differentiation the nervous system regulation it's not as sacred and as cool as people think it is. It's so, like you said, it's so subtle. Mm-hmm. It's so titrated. And we get kind of stuck in these avenues of like, oh, it's just about the emotion. Oh, it's just about the anger. Oh, it's just about the body. Oh, it's just about the super consciousness. But it's like, I can't, it's hard to articulate it, but it's like, really what we're trying to find, at least when I see someone in my world or a student do really well, is they're seeing their whole body like a hologram of action and reaction, healing, not healing. You know, as a person is talking, are they able to feel their spine? Mm -hmm. The way I'm sensing in as I slow my speech down can, you know, and when you work with someone at the beginning and they're like, that's impossible to feel my spine as I talk or as I orient. I'm like, actually, it's not impossible. You just don't have that skill yet. Yeah. Like those minute little elements that are actually huge, but everyone is looking for that show and that guru and that big firecracker event. Um, probably because if we go way back to early life, 
we didn't get the life force energy that we wanted when we were infants because our parents, our caregivers were also harmed and abused yeah. and didn't know how to match the exuberance of a newborn baby. Mm -hmm. You know, so much of this comes down to how we cultivate healthy aggression and life force energy in our children. And I mean, as you know, having gone through my courses, that healthy aggression, that life force, if that is not matched and cultivated as an infant, it's like you turn off the pilot light in that human's system. Mm -hmm. And, but to get that pilot light back, you can't shake it up like a firecracker. You have to build it <laughs> yeah. so slowly. And that's where the patients, like so much, like everyone wants to be healed yesterday and they don't For realize sure. that they were just never taught the language and it takes a while to learn a new language. Um, so when I really kind of step back and look at things, it's like, there's a whole new paradigm. And I don't even like to say paradigm because to me, it's just how we're meant to yeah. evolve. I mean, I'm looking at your background, how we collectively evolve into yeah. this new humanity is I don't think what we think it is. I think it's actually much more basic and neutral. So simple. Yeah. But then when you get it, and this is just from anecdotal evidence and hearing my students, it's like when they get that holographic quality of being embodied with the world, with their higher brain, with their emotions, with their guts and their heart and all their experiences, it's like they feel as though they've transcended, but they're not escaping. They're mm -hmm. still here. Yep. Um, but in a very um, resilient, alive way. Yeah. And the sad part for me is that many humans, A, have never felt that and will probably never feel it. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that more and more are interested in this subtle work yeah. so that we don't need to have these postmortems and all the bad things that happened at these retreats. It's like, it just shouldn't yeah. have to happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Does that make sense? No, it does. And, <laughs> and it's funny. I was just saying to my buddy yesterday, um, Cause we were talking about exercise and even, even something like, you know, the concept of titration in, in starting an exercise program, I was just yeah. trying to explain to him. Cause like, I'm like, you know, his core, he's struggling with his core and mm -hmm. uh, I'm like, well, your core holds everything together and your core oftentimes is what will allow you to do the bigger exercise and the bigger mm -hmm. muscle groups. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, I was trying to say like, you know, you have your whole life to work out, you know? Like you have, you have yeah. next year that you could expand into doing, you know, all, all these other things, just all the things tight, do start small, just start simple. Do yeah. uh, this next month, just strengthen your core little bits at a time here and there, here and there. Yeah. And it's that idea of, of small and, and simple and, and just not feeling like we need to rush to that end result. And that is so much of what we're looking for when we're looking for wellness practices and changes is like, how can I just get the fastest to the end result? How can I, how can I hack? How can I game, you know, the, this, this stuff. And in some way I can, I can get how, you know, the concept of hacking or gaming can be framed in such a way that is like, we're trying to evolve and improve upon. I get that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. but I've learned that, you know, so much of this stuff is so simple and it's so basic and it is not flashy and it is not, my friend the other day said to me, she's been doing somatic work for a couple of years. And she said, um, at first I didn't even know that it was doing anything. Yep. And then it hit her. Right. Yeah. And I was like, interesting. I've heard that many times. 
right? Yeah. And I think you've shared yeah. that with us before. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I just think that is a key evolution in this work, in this in this field of wellness that needs to happen where it's less about the one hit wonder and less about like the one session changes at all and more about the mm -hmm. lifestyle and the change mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. the way we see ourselves and understand ourselves as humans. Mm -hmm. And to bridge a little piece, you know, um, cause I was in fitness and nutrition for so long working in a gym where people came in and they want to, they have a, a goal. Like I want to have this by this time. It usually it would be an event, whether it was to fit into something summer. I mean, uh -huh. everything was always extraneous, right? It was never cause I want to feel better and be healthy. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the first issue is we've become, and again, body composition is important, right? We want to have a healthy body weight, metabolically, all that. But that put aside, I do think that a lot of the trouble that humans have is how we were taught as kids in our classic education system. The test is at the end of the week. You have to study in this period of time. And then as soon as it's done, you never have to think about that stuff ever yeah. again. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, you fail. And so I saw this not just in fitness, but also in the work I do now, where if a person doesn't get through the whole course in 12 weeks, I have failed. I may as well never look at it again. Yeah. And I would say that 50% of the teaching when I'm in these courses is convincing people that the bigger part is changing their conditioning around how they learn. Yeah. Because usually how we learned was wrought with stress and time sensitive demands and people screaming at us and then us feeling shame or us mm -hmm. feeling so proud because we were the one that got the A mm -hmm. and then we're praised externally, but it doesn't give us a satisfaction internally. Mm -hmm. And so there's no map that many people have of how to actually engage with learning and being in a process over a long period of time. Yeah. And I don't know how to teach that other than to just name it because it is, yeah. I think one of the reasons why we have struggled so much as a humanity to improve these systems. Everything's yeah. in a cycle, the political cycle, the school cycle, the summer cycle, the winter cycle. Oh, it's Thanksgiving. Now the Christmas decorations are up. Okay. <laughs> Christmas decorations are down. Now it's, uh, what is it? Uh, Valentine's day, Valentine's day is down. Now it's Easter. And it's just this never ending cycle of start and stop, start and stop. Yeah. But the birds don't know if it's Easter or Chris, like the dogs that you have at home have no clue. Your alpacas don't care. They just want to be fed and loved and being, you know, all. and so there's this, like, um, there's something also about our cycles of the year that set us into a certain conditioned grooved response is to expect certain things. Yeah. And that that's like a whole other cosmic thing that would take mm -hmm. a long time to unpack other than to say, how can one see all of this as a long haul, long tail approach? Um, for me, inevitably Joe, uh, I just want to die in my sleep with no health problems one day. Yeah. 
and have all my faculties functioning and just, I just pass over. Just die of old age. That's all I want. And yep. in many ways, oddly, everything I do is in service of that. Yep. And of course, to have good connections and, and social aspects. But like, that's, you know, that's kind of what I, you know, to be really basic. Yep. That's well, it's I interesting. <laughs> one of the final things I, I want to share is like, it just, you know, hearing you talk there and, and, and thinking back, um, to what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about like the different modalities and the different things. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that like, this is a result of this work, right? So I noticed mm -hmm. that, you know, I started to see my shoulders, like getting, they were yeah. like how yeah. they're tensing. Right. So yeah. as we were talking about, you know, some of these things, I started to go like this, right. And, and tense up going like, Oh man, I, people are going to think that what we're saying about these other modalities is bad. And like, and that, you know, th that we're trying to like shit talk. And I started to get, my, my body was responding to what my mental mm -hmm. patterns were and what was mm -hmm. in, in my system from since I was a kid, which is, mm -hmm. um, you know, that people dislike me cause they don't understand me and what I'm saying. Yeah. And, um, so here I was like this, but I noticed, I noticed within a, probably about a minute of feeling tense mm -hmm. to let go. Yeah. And, and my body also was sort of telling me that story a little bit of like mm -hmm. what that, what that response is about and what's going on there. And then I can be with it. And I imagine now, okay, so let's say we're having this conversation and I get in this and I have no awareness of that. Right. Oh, and yeah. so now I'm, I'm tight I'm tight forever. But then as I'm tight, eventually I'm, we, I, if I'm say some somewhere else or in a different type of setting, yeah. This is where now I become short and activated you, and you're and, living in that world. Yes, exactly. And we're not, yeah. we're not having, and then, so if you challenge me, I might snap back and then the communication breaks down and then, and then this problem gets even worse. Right. Yeah. And, and this is, I think what is so fascinating about this is like just being able to track and being able to see yeah. and like know that, yeah, you know, I am still in my body a little bit afraid mm -hmm. of being misunderstood by people, you know? Um, yep. and so let me, let me do the very last question here. Yeah. If somebody were to come up to you and say, huh. I have, uh, issues with self-consciousness, self-judgment, self-loathing, how would you as a nervous system slash movement Feldenkraisian practitioner, how would you approach that type of question? I would granted this is a complete stranger and they know nothing. Yeah. Right. Let's just say that the first thing I would say is, do you really want to change that? So in other words, okay, we know that you have these things. It's not even, are you ready? It's, do you really want to change those things? And let's just say they say yes. It's like, okay. Well, if you really want to change them, we have to start by understanding where those things came from. It's not even about getting into movement or survival physiology. Typically that, um, uh, hue that a person would carry low confidence, low self-worth. I think you said judgment that goes way back <laughs> like infancy, even in utero even maybe transgenerationally, like 
and we know this right through the research yeah. it's like to say to someone no human is born wanting to hurt other humans when you've seen someone like be a mass murderer a lot of people have trouble understanding that but it's true <laughs> you know little baby is not looking to murder you know an entire church congregation it's not I'm thinking of that because I watched a show the other night that was <laughs> that did that. It was yeah. an action film, you know. I'm like, oh dear, this isn't good. But like, it when we're young, we are a, 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 not a blank slate because we have our our genetics and what happened in utero. But man, there is so much potential in that little human. And the moment the the parent starts to talk to even themselves about how low in confidence they are. The moment they pick up that baby with fear because they're afraid they're going to hurt them. Like it, it, it's that layered. And so the conversation is we have to have a conversation about how deep this might go and not to scare you, but just to give you the pure facts of this might have started before you had any cognitive ability to even know that you were self-conscious about something. And, and I think that if someone is interested in that and they go, oh, that's interesting, then we have something to work with. But what I have found, Joe, is that unlike when I had my knee surgeries or my patella fracture, I don't have to believe in my patella fracture being fixed by the orthopedic surgeon. It's just going to happen whether I believe it or not. Right. Mm -hmm. With this stuff, it, you have to have, um, an invested interest in really uncovering why this is the way you are. And then also understanding that it isn't just going to be one technique. It's not going to be one type of this or that it's going to be, a palette of um, things that you have to do, education, environment, the people you're around, your habits, your work. Um, and yes, maybe investigating how you talk to yourself, the self-talk. But again, back to your example of your shoulders going up, like you can assess your self-talk till the cows come home. But if you're not aware that when you are in that negative self-talk, your gut is clenched, and you know, your, your, your belly is tight and you have no awareness of your environment. Like those are the elements that have to start coming in. So, you know, it's not like a knee surgery where you just go and you get it fixed. You know, it, it, it yeah. takes um, a remolding and a rewiring and a repatterning at all these levels. Um, but inevitably it, it comes down to typically what occurred in those first few years of life and how you were handled literally as an infant and then how your parents or caregivers offered you opportunities to explore without punishment and explore your body and without shame and interact with others. It's just like, it's so not one thing. Yeah. Um, but it is that energy of what occurred in those first few years of life um, so that would be a very long way of answering. That's what I would say to that person. If the person who's doing more cognitive stuff with you is very attuned and isn't bullshitting you and you're ready to take that in, a lot can happen in a more cognitive conversation. Mm -hmm. 
Um, because and, and then if that person sees that you're getting emotional and they acknowledge the emotion, then in that moment, he is doing somatic work. Yeah. And I think that's one of the tickets right? is like yeah. there by you can use your modality and strengthen it if you're if you're able to acknowledge the body aspect, the emotional aspect, tracking mm -hmm. and feeling that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Um, mm -hmm. Which which I, I find interesting. You see some people just have that um, mm -hmm. that inclination to kind of notice or want mm -hmm. you to notice. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of why I wanted you to watch that uh, Netflix thing called Stuts. Yeah. Because I, will. I, 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 I almost want to watch it again because I'm kind of, I'm fascinated for a lot of reasons. Mm. Um, and I still haven't arrived at an answer. I'm still trying to sort of work out what I watched. Um, is it a because, series or like a 90 minute thing? So yeah, it's like 90 minute, like Jonah Hill, this is his therapist. And, mm -hmm. um, and you know, he's worked with him for a lot of years and, and Stutz is interesting himself cause he has Parkinson's. Um, and he yeah. talks about his story and the movie's about his therapist, but it's also about their work together, but it's also about trying to share his tools, but it's all, it's, it's, and it's a really mm. interesting style, but I was, mm. I was really fascinated to try and watch and, 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 and I was feeling different things as I was watching mm. it. And I just, I don't know. I wanted to talk to a person it. who, who, you yeah. know, might watch it with similar eyes. Um, but that's, yeah, I was, it, it was an interesting program to, you know, huh. at the end of the day. Well, I'll um, watch it and then we can, we can report back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I guess the last you've got thing a long I've... list there. I mean, is there anything else that you well, wanted to touch on? I mean, you know, we could talk for like ten hours. I know. But I know. Um, at the what I would what I would say is maybe we can cap it off with this: is mm -hmm. um, whatever comes to your mind, whatever comes to your body, your 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 being at this moment, whatever it is. Um, what does the world look like? What does society look like if, let's say 90, 95% of us were attuned in, oh my God. with this knowledge and in a deep way, <laughs> whatever comes to your mind and being? Well, there's many avenues with that one. Is this all in one moment? Is this over 10 years? You're walking, you're walking down the street and and you're seeing and feeling. Well, um, God, I'm trying, there's a movie I'm thinking of that I watched a little while ago where there was an alternate universe and that was true. Hmm. Um, it was one of the Ryan's Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Gosling, I think it was Ryan Reynolds. And he was in that world. You probably have no idea what movie I'm talking about. The only one that's coming up is called The Nines. That's the one I'm thinking about with him in it. I'm going to have to look it one. up. In, in that movie, because this is important, he was in a, it was almost like a Matrixy kind of movie. And he didn't realize he was in it until he did something with his blinds in his room. 
And when the blinds shifted, it shone a different light. And he always was fascinated with the blinds. He could mm-hmm. see something different when he did something different with the blinds. Anyway, I saw this. What is this called? It's very good. It's it's exceptionally good. I saw it in the movie theaters, thinking it was just going to be a comedy, and <sighs> Seth and I sat there going, "Whoa!" <laughs> it was that good. And then in the element of being in that other world, everything was rainbows, and color, mm-hmm. and people were happy. So not that I want to walk through the streets with rainbows and colors. It's more of a metaphor for, I think, vibrancy and aliveness. Um, if 95% of the population was attuned and regulated, holy shit. I mean, we would, we would, we would not need hospitals to the degree that we have. We wouldn't need to do therapy. We'd have time to create and discover and you know what's interesting i think if we and i'm just riffing if we had that level of regulation i think that innovation would actually slow down Hmm. that's interesting i i think that if we if i again think about when i've been to more tribal uh element places I'm thinking about when I, you know, traveled in in various places in my 20s, going to where my mother was born and raised. People aren't, they don't care about, you know, getting the next big thing, typically. They're just happy cooking their food, playing with their kids, tending their gardens, sitting on the porch, smoking some cigarettes, drinking some beer, you know, they're not interested in finding that next thing, that next, because we wouldn't need cures, you know, mm-hmm. like cause when we have, again, of course, there's some genetic defects out there. I get that in accidents, but the bulk of our illness is a result of dysregulation and the fact that we can't take care of ourselves because we're so disconnected. So if we had that level of attunement, I, I have a feeling, this is just a prediction, that we actually would become really neutral and boring, but not in a boring sense. We would just be like the wolves and the animals doing their day-to-day thing. And we might create some art and we might create some prose and entertainment, but it would be very different from what we see now. Um, There's a great, did you find the movie? No, I was, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna throw a whole bunch of really big, massive questions at you in in response to your response here. Okay. <laughs> um, Go for it. In the realm of of Star Trek, Star yes. Wars, yes. Um, even what I think about when I think about extraterrestrials and and what I've known of that and those technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, did they arrive then at? Um, some of that brilliance as a result of, of stress and, and, and um, dysregulation, or is it possible that um, we can, we can, you know, still innovate and maybe we didn't innovate in our best way yeah. while deeply regulated? That's a good question. Cause if we think about star Wars, it, it felt like there was always another saga like the saga ends, but did it really end? 
like was there really was the dark side really completely obliterated i don't know i mean that's the other question is it possible to have full you know you you gave me 95 percent, so there might be that five percent that keeps things on on its toes a little bit yeah 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 right um evolutionary pressure yeah i don't know i mean i hey i like the fact that you're in another part of canada i'm here and we can i'm not saying that technology mm -hmm. would go kaput yeah. i just wonder that we would be a little less frantic about you know getting to mars for example yes yeah um because we would be so cool and happy just here taking yep. care of our earth and our home um that i can agree with 100 percent. i, you I know? think yeah i think some of the some of the the drive that we have to certain types of innovation are very much of this survivally like fear-based you know sort of thing however mm -hmm. it's like um i actually think peter joseph uh zeitgeist creator did a really mm. good job of sort of framing the possibility of where we could be um through a film he did called Interreflection. Interreflection. Okay. it's very long it's a very um uh unique style and genre of film it's mm -hmm. good um mm -hmm. i've definitely watched it a couple times mm -hmm. but he sort of at the end he like he 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 lays out a vision that i've had in my head since i was like a kid which is this this earth and this feeling of like you know you take away all of the limitations and all of the it, the survival based fear based scarcity based economies that we've made up out of our own yeah. creation right and you take them away and you you put humans in the space and and you know peter has this he has this background of environment sort of creates human. Um, he's into Reed Gabor and, and is very up on, on that work in that sense. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's, he's got this undertone of this and, um, he, he just paint, paints this picture of like, well, of course we could, we could innovate, but on things that are important and on things that yeah. matter and on things that are, collectively beneficial and and it's just such a beautiful imagination mm. of a world and almost like maybe some of this like some of our flair for technology is part of our evolution that mm -hmm. you know if we weren't super dysregulated we maybe wouldn't have gotten interested in these things and but maybe those things will help us go to other worlds if we wanted to explore and yeah i i don't know it's 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 all up for grabs i think that um the technology that we've created has been important to have these conversations. Um, as you know, you know that with the social media world, there's there's an evil and there's a good to how it can yeah. be used. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that I don't want any <laughs> creativity. <laughs> no, that's not that. But you know, the, one pivotal moment I remember was watching movies and, and shows do give me lots to think about. It was. Um, uh, interstellar with matthew mcconaughey yeah i sat in the movie theater for like 15 minutes bawling my eyes out after that because you know this search to go somewhere else was because the the, the planet was just destructed you know all they mm -hmm. had was corn mm -hmm. to eat and it was a dust storm and and it's just like ah no like we don't, that but you're right it's that's not the reason like can we explore once everything is taken care of here Yes. And I yeah. think that's the part that gets me a little, while I don't uh, talk about this on my platforms because I keep things pretty straight laced with the nervous system work, um, 
I don't, even though I love high performance sport and I have so many friends who that is their livelihood, yeah. I wish we could just stop all of that and take all that money yes. that we put into the Olympics and the World Cup and all the things and, and just put it to the people so that we yeah. can teach parents and students and teachers, like you said, because there's so much resource to that that is just, it's nice, but it's not necessary. Yeah. And I'm not saying that healthy competition isn't important, but the, the, the capital that goes into that is mind blowing. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So that's the part of me that is, is m many might be surprised to hear. Um, yeah. and, but you know, would that ever occur? Maybe cause maybe when everyone is regulated in that 95% regulation world, there is no desire to compete with other countries. Yeah. Because it's all about that. It's about which country is better at this sport. Uh, do we need that right now? Yeah. Right? Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Who cares? It doesn't yeah. matter. You know, yeah. why don't we just build healthy, um, regulated humans? When I was in Australia doing my research in exercise science, I remember one of my um, uh, professors said, the reason why the Australian population is so obese and unfit is because the government pumped so much money into sport in the 80s and they neglected the health of the people. Yeah. And at that time when I was in Australia, the obesity rate was higher in Australia than in the United States. Most people mm. don't know that. Mm. And it was showing up because of the funding being pumped only to sport development. And the Aussies yeah. were huge for sport development. So you see these repercussions. Yeah. And so it's like, man, what if we reversed that? Yeah. The U.S. is fascinating for that. They uh, spend exuberant amounts of money uh, on, on war. And, you know, people will argue that, that it's to stop terrorists or it's to stop, you know, you know, whatever, whatever it is, they, you know, national security, whatever, but, you know, no, you know, all these other countries are investing in their people and their people are significantly better off. And, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's just, it's interesting to watch different countries as different ex pots of experimentation for, yeah. you know, what could be done, but, you know, yeah. then, then you pull out the frame of, of our entire society and say, what if we reframe the whole thing and we had healthy beings would be like, Oh my God, <laughs> that's, a, that's where, that's where I get excited. But I think it um, would be really interesting. You know, I, I would love to see that in my lifetime. Maybe it can happen. You know, there's all these, yeah. these, these predictions of when that might occur. But the thing is, is that is all dependent on the people. I still come back yeah. to the individual. You know, I, I'm more of an individual mindsetted person. It's like, if you cannot have the individual interested, it is very hard to shift the collective. Oh, 100%. Um, and yeah. cause we're not pack animals. That's the thing is I think that, um, again, this is just not, you know, peer reviewed research, but, and we've talked about this, you and I, that this idea of community and being in a community, it won't work yet because we're all so different in how our we see things especially raising kids yeah if a community isn't aligned with how to raise their children you have a problem yeah because yeah. then as i already spoke about you know you won't have consistency and so everyone is down on we're all living in our own homes and boxes like well that can work if we know how to take care of ourselves and reach out when we need community yeah. and social support 
but a lot of people don't know how to do that because of their trauma, da 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 da. So um, there's interesting things there too, because I have definitely seen intentional communities that have been the toxic mother load of God knows what. It's like, wow, oh, yeah, yeah. there's so much addiction, there's so much abuse, people yeah, are not yeah. well, and they think they're living in this idyllic community, but they have no clue that they are living through survival 24 seven. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. That is actually, there's some research out there uh, done by people that are focused deeply on intentional communities around the world. And if they've looked mm -hmm. at them for, for decades mm -hmm. and they said that the number one, if they had to say, what is the number one issue as to why every single one of these communities fails eventually? Um, it all comes down to conflict resolution within, within the beings. Like they can't, they, there's not enough knowledge as to how to actually do it. And yeah. a lot of these um, communities tend to, now this isn't fair to say they're all, but a lot of them tend to be highly spiritual. And yes. the spiritual bypassing that occurs is like, is astronomical. And, mm -hmm. you know, again, that's not to knock intentional communities as much as it's to say how important this is, you know, mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. to bring into any setting. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're getting there. I mean, this work is spreading. Yeah. yeah. Human relations is very important. And um, I am fortunate and I feel you are too, to have a partner, a husband that I can talk to. Yeah. There's no secrets. There's no hiding. There's no uh, games that we play that are childish. We had to work to get to that. And I will dare say that most, the bulk of human relationships in that partnered spousal sense are toxic. Uh, um, and people are not themselves not because they don't want to be because they have no clue how much survival stress they're living in and yeah. they can never find that peaceful not to say there isn't arguments and discussions and heat but like you said there is no way to resolve it yeah naturally with your skills and again if you are not aware of the survival stress and the trauma that you're carrying from your childhood or how you saw your parents interact like we got to start, we could say with the individual and then partnership in, yeah. we could say romantic relationship, um, because that is what creates more humans. Let's face yeah. it. Right. So yeah. it's, it's kind of this, it's interesting to, um, go back to that basic element of just human relations and yep. Individual. And then a, and then B, can you, connect with another human in a way that isn't based on survival stress mm -hmm. when that was how you were brought into the world was maybe yeah. through a mother who was living and serve. I mean, see how big these things are. It's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, <laughs> I hope that what we're, what we talked about today to anybody listening doesn't feel like insurmountable um, because it's not, it, it, it is very, you know, I, I haven't worked with people for, you know, the last 25 years, like, or 20 ish year. I don't remember how long your, your career has been 20, 25, 25. years. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. 25. Um, and, uh, but you've probably seen some cases where it's like, wow, you know, this person came back from something massive, right? Uh huh. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's like, I think we can do it individually and we can do it as a collective, mm -hmm. but I, I do think it's a, it's a question of having to actually commit to it. It's like, it's like that whole, it's like the easiest relation is like social media, you know, everybody knows it's a problem, but they can't stop using what I should, <laughs> I should say they can't stop sitting there for 
30 minutes scrolling through reels, right? Yeah. Um, So the point is, is it's like, no one's saying never use social media again. It's saying commit to using it in a different way. No one's Mm -hmm. saying, you know, hey, don't do wellness unless you're doing, it's like just commit to doing wellness, commit to doing these things in a way that is, you're committed to the long haul and and Mm -hmm. you don't need a, a quick little, if it's not fixed today, then I'm not doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Long, again, long, long-term lifestyle, um, longevity. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, um, this ability to really see that this isn't just something that you do for a moment and then you stop. That's where, again, 25 years of working with humans, that's what it is. It's people are expecting it to, there's an end point and there is no end point. It, it, yep. It's, it's like, you want to just keep this going. And then with time it shifts. So patience, yeah. young Jedi's, you know, yeah. patience. That's it. That's how she goes. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Well, it was a pleasure once again. I think this is round three um, yes, sir. of interviews here and uh, it was good good conversation. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on, sharing Thank your you. wisdom and 25 years experience. And, uh, that's it. That's all. Any final words? I don't think so. Maybe in the spirit of your classes. Um, do you have a somatic mm-hmm. word? <laughs> I, I'm, there's a happiness. So while we, yeah, we touched on a lot of intense things. Um, I'm smiling a, because you know, um, we're good friends. So this is fun. Um, but B, I have seen people shift massively. And so I know it's possible. Um, and so I'm just here saying it is possible. And then the person, you, the person has, has to believe that it is. So there is a happiness in my body knowing that it is possible. Um, and I'm also not a betting gal. So, you know, I'm not going to say we have to do this because then that puts pressure. It's like, let's just do it. Yeah. Let's try. Right. Um, yeah. Cause let's it can, give it let's give it a whirl. It's in our DNA to yeah. be regulated. That's the part. I think maybe that's the ending point. It's in our DNA to be regulated. We have swung so far away from that. Um, it might seem impossible to get back, but it can mm-hmm. in this modern world. I think it will be very cool when we get to that, if we get to that, to see regulation with the way that we've created things on, on planet earth here. So, well, let's get to work. That's it. That's all. Well, that's it. That's all. I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, I want to thank the members of the Explore Lounge who are helping us to continue doing this work. If you want to support this podcast and all of the work we do here at the Pulse and Collective Evolution, consider becoming a member of our Explore Lounge. As a member, you get access to exclusive video content. You can watch all of these episodes ad-free, and you get access to our private social network where you can discuss and learn about many topics with a like-minded community of changemakers. It's truly an incredible place to be, not just for the benefits that you get, but you're directly supporting our dedicated team here at Collective Evolution and The Pulse. Visit explorelounge.one, that's dot O-N-E, to learn more.